1: Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson and I'm Carter Roy. Welcome to Historical Figures. Every Wednesday, we discuss a different person's lasting historical impact, unique personality, and impression on the world around them. If you want to listen to any previous episodes, you can find them on your favorite podcast directory. And while you're there, we'd really appreciate if you could leave a five-star review.
2: Our audio biographies cover big lives, but we like to focus on little-known facts. Today we're discussing Hernán Cortés, one of the first Spanish conquistadors who subjugated the indigenous population of the Americas and brought European culture to its shores in a quest for gold, glory, and
1: power. Cortés was an extremely ambitious and ruthless leader and used a combination of charisma, trickery, and brute force to destroy the powerful Aztec Empire and establish the Spanish presence in the Americas. While he was celebrated in Spain at the time for expanding its power and influence across the Atlantic Ocean, It is now recognized that Cortes was also one of the leading forces in establishing the brutal European strategy of decimating indigenous populations in the pursuit of wealth and power in the Americas.
2: Today, we'll be discussing the life of Hernan Cortes and how his actions affected the course of history in North America for centuries to come.
1: Hernan Cortes was born in 1485 in Medellin, Spain, seven years before Christopher Columbus crossed the Atlantic Ocean and brought back tales of untold riches in what was deemed a new world.
2: Cortes was the son of minor nobility. His father, Martin Cortes de Monroy, was born in 1449 and was an infantry captain. Through his mother, Catalina Pizarro Altamirano, Hernán Cortés was the second cousin once removed of Francisco Pizarro, who conquered the Inca Empire of modern-day Peru in the 1530s.
1: It seems like a propensity for violence ran in the family.
2: Hmm. Cortés certainly had a natural inclination for it. Despite being sent to Salamanca to study the law under his uncle at the age of 14, Cortes was interested in the military and returned to Medellin in 1501 after only two years of study.
1: He was determined to enlist in a military campaign and spent the next year deciding whether to join a campaign in Italy under Gonsalvo de Cordoba or to sail for the Americas with Don Nicolas de Ovando, the newly appointed governor of Hispaniola.
2: Hispaniola is an island in the Caribbean that is currently divided under the jurisdiction of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. It was the location of the first permanent European settlement in the Americas, founded by Christopher Columbus in 1492, and one of Spain's early footholds in the area.
1: Ultimately, Cortes chose to join Don Nicholas's expedition west. He was a family friend, and Cortes hoped that Don Nicholas would take personal interest in advancing his career. Don
2: Nicolas was sailing to Hispaniola to take his new office with a fleet of 40 ships, outfitted at a great expense by the Spanish crown.
1: Not a bad way for a young man hungry for adventure to start his career.
2: He certainly saw it as a great opportunity. Unfortunately, Cortez literally missed the boat on this one. Shortly before setting sail, Cortez suffered an injury when he fell from a wall he was climbing to meet with a young woman.
1: The story goes that he was discovered by the young woman's mother, who had to stop her daughter's husband from killing Cortez as he lay prone at their front door.
2: Seems like he was quite the Casanova then.
1: He did have a way with the ladies. This incident was just the first of many future entanglements with women that would shape the course of Cortez's life.
2: Cortes eventually recovered from the wounds to his body and to his pride and journeyed to the city of Valencia with the intention of joining Gonzalo de Córdoba's Italian campaign.
1: For unknown reasons, he never joined, although this time it probably wasn't due to romantic entanglements. Once again, Cortes returned to Medellin, and his parents eventually paid for him to join Don Nicholas in Hispaniola. Cortes set
2: sail in 1504 on a trading vessel that was part of a fleet of four other ships carrying merchandise to the West Indies.
1: The ship's captain, Alonso Quintero, was a ruthless trader who twice attempted to break free from the fleet and arrive in port ahead of them in order to sell his goods without competition. Both
2: times, Quintero was thwarted by poor weather. During his second attempt, Quintero's pilot lost his bearings in the storm, and the ship was almost lost. When the weather cleared, a dove was seen perched on the rigging, and by following its flight, they were able to arrive in port four days later.
1: Cortez saw this good luck as a miraculous intervention and took it as a sign that God's providence was on his side a conviction he would carry throughout his life.
2: Alonso Quintero didn't share the same optimism. For all his attempts to beat out his fellow traders, his attempts at outmaneuvering them led to his own misfortune, as each time they arrived before he did and were able to unload their goods first.
1: Eventually, Cortes arrived on the island of Hispaniola later in 1504. Don Nicholas was absent, but Cortes was aided by his secretary Medina, who familiarized him with the island and helped Cortes register as a citizen of Hispaniola when he turned 18.
2: Medina advised Cortes to settle near the town and open a small farm, but Cortes supposedly replied that he had come to seek gold rather than to till the ground.
1: Although he wasn't interested in farming, Cortes nevertheless spent the next several years as a planter, establishing himself in Hispaniola's capital, Santo Domingo.
2: Not to say his life was absent of adventure, Cortez's eye for women continued to get him in trouble, and he was reportedly involved in several affairs that led to a fair share of quarrels and duels,
1: although the worst injury he ever suffered was a
2: wounded lip.
1: Despite success as a planter, Cortez still desired a life of military glory. He was set to join an expedition to Darien, which is located in modern-day Panama, but was prevented from joining due to illness.
2: However, Fortune seemed to once again smile on Cortes, as the expedition was ultimately fruitless.
1: Cortes finally got a taste of military success when he participated in the conquest of Cuba in 1511, under the command of Don Diego Velazquez, an aide to Hispaniola's governor.
2: It was not an especially dangerous expedition, with the indigenous Tainos and Ciboney people unable to put up much of a resistance to the more powerful Spanish forces. Nevertheless, Cortes caught Velázquez's eye with his bravery. Velázquez was named governor of Cuba, and he granted Cortes a large estate in the new capital of
1: Santiago. Cortes was very popular amongst his fellow colonists, and Velázquez took him under his wing, naming Cortez as his secretary and treating him as a valued protégé.
2: However, the budding friendship between the two men quickly began to fray. As with many of Cortez's past disputes, there was a woman at the center of the conflict between Cortez and Velazquez.
1: Her name was Catalina Suarez de Marqueda. She was the beautiful, though relatively poor, sister of Juan Juarez, Cortez's business partner.
2: According to Cortez's biographer, Francisco Lopez de Gomara, Cortez had gained Catalina's affection, and he reportedly had secured her promise to marry him.
1: However, when it came time for them to marry, Cortez changed his mind. Governor Velazquez, who was married to one of Catalina's sisters, personally attempted to intervene. Cortez still refused to wed Catalina.
2: Incensed at what he took as a personal disrespect, Velasquez ordered his men to imprison Cortez in the local fortress. But Cortez's imprisonment was brief, and his sympathetic jailer allowed him to escape with a sword and
1: shield. Cortez took refuge in a church, but when he was spotted outside, he was quickly captured and imprisoned again, this time in a ship at anchor in the harbor.
2: Once again, Cortez escaped this time dressed as a servant. The small skiff he was taking to shore capsized, and he had to swim the rest of the way. With the aid of his partner, Juan Juarez, Cortes was able to once again take refuge in a church.
1: Impressed by Cortez's resilience, Velasquez sent mutual friends to the church to make amends. Cortes agreed to marry Catalina, but was not ready to forgive Velasquez for imprisoning him.
2: Shortly thereafter, there was a sudden breakout of fighting with the Tainos, and Cortez appeared at Velazquez's manor fully armed, ready to fight, and willing to let go of their past differences.
1: That night, it is even said that the two men slept in the same bed and were discovered the next morning.
2: (laughs) Wow, that sounds like a story straight out of a telenovela.
1: That's because it basically is. Gomara's biography on Cortes is notably unreliable, as he was never actually in Cuba, and his book, Cronica de la Conquista, was written some 25 years after the events were depicted. Though Gomara's work does contain the broad strokes of Cortes's life, most of the information it contains was given to him by Cortez himself, and therefore the book tends to exaggerate many events or frame them to make Cortez look more impressive.
2: A much more accurate account of Cortez's time in Cuba comes from historian Bartolomé de las Casas, who was present in Cuba at the time and knew both Cortez and Velázquez well.
1: His account of the conflict between Cortes and Velazquez has no mention of the dramatic story of Cortes' refusal to marry Catalina Juarez. Las Casas asserts that when a new group of appellate judges was sent to Cuba from Spain, Cortes was part of a plot to provide them with damaging information on Velazquez.
2: The governor discovered the plot and arrested Cortes as he attempted to deliver the information to the judge's ship. Cortez's life was only spared due to the intervention of his friends on his behalf.
1: This account is corroborated by a report to the king from Velazquez's chaplain, Benito Martinez. While there may have been an imprisonment, escape, and refuge in a church, Las Casas adamantly refuted the account of Cortez and Velazquez's late-night reconciliation.
2: And while he did marry Catalina Juarez, it was not under duress, and Cortes was reportedly very content in his marriage.
1: Regardless of what caused the tension between the two men, Velazquez's wrath was short-lived, and he later made Cortes an alcalde, or municipal magistrate.
2: With gold fever gripping the Spanish colonies in the New World, Velazquez ordered an expedition to Mexico headed by Juan de Grijalva, which set sail on May 1st, 1518. It was on this expedition that Grijalva first heard word of Moctezuma, also known as Montezuma, and best known as the leader of the powerful Aztec Empire.
1: Also known as the Triple Alliance, the Aztec Empire began in 1427 as an alliance of three Nahuatl-speaking city-states, Tenochtitlan, Texcoco, and Tlacopan, who were all ruled by different factions of the indigenous Mexican people.
2: By the time the Spanish arrived, the alliance was effectively ruled by the leader in Tenochtitlan. It was an indirect empire, meaning conquered cities were allowed to stay relatively autonomous as long as they paid semi-tribute to the Triple Alliance, as well as any military forces required for war efforts. In return, they received protection and access to a vast economic network.
1: It was through one of these member states that Moctezuma was alerted to Grijalva's presence, and although there weren't any major battles between them, Moctezuma was wary of any future European incursions.
2: On June 24th, Grijalva sent one of his lieutenants, Pedro de Alvarado, back to Velázquez to deliver a report of his trading, as well as a request to establish a colony. Velázquez authorized another expedition to take advantage of the bounty of wealth Grijalva had reported and named Cortes, now 33, as the commander.
1: Even though Grijalva came back in October 1518 with only meager returns, planning for the expedition forged ahead. Cortes staked almost everything he owned to finance the journey, paying two-thirds of the total cost to gather six ships and 300 men.
2: Cortez's appointment aroused the jealousy of other officials in Velázquez's orbit, and they began to prey on the governor's insecurities and suspicions.
1: Velázquez grew paranoid that Cortez would overextend his authority once in control of such a vast expedition, and at the last moment, he revoked Cortez's appointment as commander and appointed a man named Vasco Porcayo instead.
2: Upon learning of Velazquez's decision, Cortes immediately got his provisions and men aboard his ships during the night. According to Las Casas, Velazquez caught wind of Cortes' actions early the next morning and hastily rushed to the port to stop him, but was unable to prevent Cortes from leaving.
1: Cortes's fleet set sail on February 10, 1519, as he sailed for land we now call Mexico. Velazquez sent orders to stop him, but nobody heeded them. In fact, many of the men Velazquez ordered to stop Cortez ended up joining his expedition. Cortez sent Velazquez letters reassuring him of his loyalty and affection, but they had no effect.
2: Velazquez sent a second order for Cortez's arrest to Havana's lieutenant governor, Pedro Barba, but once again they went unheeded. Barba informed Velazquez it wasn't within his power to stop Cortez. He was so popular with both his men and the townspeople that trying to interfere with the expedition would most likely result in disaster for Barba.
1: By now, there was no turning back for Cortez. Disgrace, and most likely death, awaited him if he returned to Cuba with anything less than complete success.
2: Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message.
0: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply.
1: And now, back to historical figures.
2: Hernan Cortez made several stops on his way to Mexico, amassing more supplies, weapons, and men. He eventually arrived on the Yucatan Peninsula in Mayan territory with 11 ships, 500 men, 13 horses, and a small number of cannons.
1: There, he encountered a Franciscan priest named Geronimo de Aguilar, who had learned the Mayan language and served as one of Cortez's trusted translators.
2: In March of 1519, Cortez formally claimed the Mexican mainland in the name of the Spanish crown, he met with resistance in the Tabasco region, and after winning a battle against the Mayans, he received a tribute of 20 young women.
1: Among these was a woman named Malintzin, who is better known as La Malinche. She eventually became Cortez's mistress and was later instrumental in his campaign against the Aztecs.
2: Born somewhere in between the Aztec and Mayan empires, Malintzin was fluent in both the Aztec Nahuatl and Mayan Chontal languages. With Aguilar translating Cortez's communication from Spanish into Chantal, Malintzin was able to then translate it into Nahuatl. Once she learned Spanish, she served as Cortez's sole interpreter. She was so close to Cortez that Aztec codices almost always depict her by his side.
1: As with Cortez, La Malinche is a controversial figure in Mexico's history. She has been portrayed as a scheming temptress, quintessential victim, or even as the symbolic mother of the Mexican people, as her son by Cortes, born in 1522, is regarded as one of the first mestizo, or person of combined European and indigenous American descent.
2: With the services of Aguilar and La Melinche, Cortes was able to easily communicate with the native populations, and he had his first contact with the Aztec empire when he met with two of Moctezuma's governors on Easter Sunday, 1519.
1: On May 18, 1519, Cortes and his men founded Veracruz, the first Spanish town in what is now Mexico. In order to lessen the pressure to return from Velázquez, he actually took a page from his old mentor's book from his conquest of Cuba.
2: After forming a local government, Cortes had himself elected as the magistrate of Veracruz, which removed him from Velázquez's authority and made him answerable only to King Charles of Spain.
1: During his journey, Cortes learned of discord within the Aztec Empire, which demanded steep tributes from its member states. Hearing of the vast wealth contained within the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan, Cortes began a campaign against the Aztecs.
2: With a relatively small army, Cortes increased his forces by creating alliances with local tribes. He convinced the Sempoal tribe to refuse a tribute of 20 men for sacrifice to Moctezuma and had them imprison the five men Moctezuma had sent to collect the tribute.
1: This was a major act of rebellion against the Aztecs, who regarded human sacrifice as a crucial means of repaying their gods for creating the world and ensuring a continued balance and prosperity of Aztec society.
2: Many accounts of the extent and violence of these sacrifices has been exaggerated to demonize the Aztecs and other indigenous people of the Americas, but it was still a vital part of their society. Archaeologists estimate that the Aztecs sacrificed a few hundred and possibly up to a thousand people every year.
1: After orchestrating the arrest of Moctezuma's tribute collectors, Cortes then secretly let two of these men go during the night. The next morning, he used their escape to justify holding the remaining three collectors on his ship. This
2: maneuver had a twofold effect he sent a message of goodwill to Moctezuma with the freed collectors, thereby delaying any immediate retribution. And when he imprisoned the other three, it was a show of strength to other tribes, such as the Totonac, who quickly joined Cortez's forces.
1: However, not all of Cortez's men were eager for a fight against the Aztecs. Some of them were still loyal to Velasquez and wanted to return to Cuba. In one of his most famous acts, Cortes deliberately beached his ships, making a return to Cuba impossible.
2: With no choice now but to forge ahead, Cortes set off for the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan in mid-August of 1519.
1: He had to cross through the territory of the Tlaxcalans, a warlike mountain tribe that was bitter enemies with the Aztecs. After an initial series of battles between September 2nd and 5th of 1519, Cortes was able to ally with the Tlaxcalan leader Chico Tancat, the younger, who saw in Cortes an opportunity to defeat the Aztecs.
2: Cortes departed from Tlaxcala with about 1,000 new soldiers in October 1519. They soon arrived in the city of Cholula, where they killed thousands of people in the main square.
1: There is no definite account of the event, and it is unclear whether it was a preemptive strike to stave off an attack or a simple case of bloodlust and conquest. Regardless, Cortes and his men massacred thousands of unarmed innocents and partially burned the city.
2: On November 8, 1519, Cortes and his allies arrived in Tenochtitlan, the essential capital of the Triple Alliance, located on an island in Lake Techcoco in central Mexico. Founded in 1325, it was the largest city in the Americas prior to European colonization, with a population estimated anywhere between 60,000 to 300,000 people, putting it on par with great European cities such as Naples and Constantinople.
1: It was connected to the mainland by causeways leading to the north, south, east, and west. These causeways were interrupted by bridges that allowed canoes and other watercraft to pass through freely and could additionally be pulled away so the city could be more easily defended if under attack.
2: Upon Cortez's arrival, he found the causeways fully intact. Moctezuma received him peacefully, greeting Cortez with a contingent of Aztec nobility on the great causeway into the city.
1: It has been reported that Moctezuma personally dressed Cortez in elaborate featherwork, golden jewelry, and a garland of flowers.
2: This venerable greeting has led to speculation that Moctezuma believed Cortez was either the messenger or even the physical embodiment of the Aztec god Quetzalcoatl. But this belief has been contested by recent historians such as Matthew Restall of Oxford University and Camila Townsend of the American Historical Review.
1: In fact, Moctezuma's behavior was a ploy. He hoped to befriend the Spaniards so he could learn their weaknesses and eventually defeat them.
2: However, Moctezuma's plan backfired. Rather than placating Cortes and his soldiers, Moctezuma's lavish reception and gifts of gold only enhanced their desire for conquest.
1: During his stay in Tenochtitlan, Cortes learned some of the men he had left on the coast had been killed by Aztec soldiers and used that as an excuse to take Moctezuma hostage in his own palace on November 14, 1519.
2: Cortes was able to effectively rule Tenochtitlan through Moctezuma until April 1520, when Velázquez sent an expedition led by Panfilo de Narvaez to Veracruz to kill or
1: capture Cortes. With 19 ships and over 1,000 men, de Nervaez represented a significant threat. Cortes left about 200 men in Tenochtitlan under the jurisdiction of Pedro de Alvarez to maintain order while he returned to deal with de Nervaez.
2: Despite possessing a much smaller force, Cortes defeated de Nervaez by attacking him in the middle of the night and convinced de Nervaez's soldiers to join his cause with promises of the vast wealth awaiting them in Tenochtitlan.
1: Meanwhile, in Tenochtitlan, things were not going smoothly for Alvarez. On May 22nd, 1520, Moctezuma asked Alvarez for permission to celebrate Toshcat, a celebration of Tezcatlipoca, one of the Aztec's most revered gods.
2: During the festivities, Alvarez massacred everyone present, men, women, and children. Alvarez's version of the events were that he intervened to prevent a ritual human sacrifice.
1: However, the Aztecs claimed the Spaniards wanted the gold they wore during the celebration. No matter what the motivation was, both accounts agree that the celebrants were unarmed and the terrible massacre was sudden and unprovoked.
2: Already unhappy with the Spaniards for essentially holding Moctezuma under house arrest, the Aztecs began open hostilities with their occupiers upon Cortez's return in May 1520.
1: They elected a new leader, Moctezuma's younger brother, Cuitlahuac. When Cortez ordered Moctezuma to address his people to convince them to let Cortez and his men leave the city in peace, they attacked their former emperor with stones and darts.
2: Moctezuma died after this address, and, once again, there are conflicting accounts of how it happened, with the Spanish and the Aztecs each claiming the other side murdered Moctezuma.
1: With supplies dwindling and without the support of the Aztec leader, Cortes decided to lead an escape from Tenochtitlan on the night of June 30th, 1521.
2: In order to put the Aztecs off guard, Cortes requested a one-week ceasefire, at the end of which he would return any Aztec treasure he possessed in exchange for being allowed to peacefully leave the city.
1: But Cortes had no intention of keeping his word. He ordered his men to pack as much plunder as possible and carry it across a portable bridge he had designed and told his soldiers to take as much of what treasure still remained.
2: The night of July 1st, 1520, Cortez and his men headed for what they believed to be an unguarded causeway out of the city. He hoped the cover of darkness and a heavy storm would allow him and his men to pass unseen.
1: Unfortunately for Cortez, they were spotted. They were quickly attacked by elite Aztec fighters known as the Eagle Warriors, and the fighting was ferocious.
2: Cortez and the Spaniards' greed led to heavy losses. Many of the Spanish soldiers, weighed down by gold and plunder, fell off the slippery causeway and drowned in Lake Texcoco.
1: Cortes escaped any grave harm as he led a vanguard of horsemen across the causeway and made it safely to the village of Tacuba on the other side. The rest of his men weren't so lucky.
2: All told, Cortes lost all his artillery, most of his horses, and while there's no official record for how many men he lost, Cortes estimated 154 Spaniards died, along with over 2,000 Tlaxcalan and other indigenous allies.
1: According to an account by one of Cortez's soldiers, Bernal Diaz de Castillo, upon seeing his wounded soldiers straggling into the village, Cortes turned his horse back towards Tenochtitlan and saw his lieutenant Pedro de Alvarez and a company of soldiers fighting for their lives.
2: This desperate sight reportedly caused tears to flow from Cortez's eyes as he realized the grave extent of the casualties he had suffered.
1: This fateful escape was dubbed la noche triste, or the night of sorrows.
2: Considering the source of the story comes from one of Cortez's soldiers, this evocative account of Cortez's reaction to his losses could very well be fabricated, or at least exaggerated.
1: It's important to remember that Cortes had to justify his actions to the Spanish crown, and the more sympathetic or heroic he appeared, the better chance he had at being rewarded for destroying the Aztecs.
2: But more fighting awaited Cortes' army, as the Aztecs pursued them relentlessly to the plain of Otumba, where the vast Aztec army looked to wipe out the remaining Spanish forces.
1: However, Cortes had an ace up his sleeve. With the Aztec army spread across the plain, he charged with his cavalry at the relatively exposed Aztec general, Matlatzincat, who was easy to spot in his rich, colorful armor.
2: Despite having become familiar with the Spaniards during their time in Tenochtitlan, the Aztecs had never encountered the use of cavalry as shock troops, since horses were not native to North America.
1: They were unable to repel Cortez's repeated charges, and Matlatzincat was killed. With their leader slain, the Aztecs became disorganized and were thoroughly routed.
2: With pressure from the Aztecs significantly reduced, Cortes was able to reach the safe haven of Tlaxcala, where he planned the siege of Tenochtitlan that would lead to the eventual destruction of the Aztec empire.
1: Needing to re-establish his alliance with the Tlaxcalans after incurring such heavy losses at the hands of the Aztecs, Cortes had no choice but to agree to all their terms when renegotiating their alliance.
2: Cortes agreed to pay for the Tlaxcalan supplies, give them the city of Cholula, an equal share of future spoils, the right to build a citadel in Tenochtitlan, and to be exempt from any future tribute.
1: Although Cortes may have intended to keep these promises, after the fall of Tenochtitlan, Spanish authorities would disown much of this treaty and all too common practice in European dealings with North American tribes.
2: Needing to win other local tribes back to his side, Cortes attacked smaller armies of Aztec tributary states as a show of strength. He won the friendship of the Tepeyac, Yautepec, and Cuaunahuac people, and crucially the Tetzcoco, former members of the Aztec Triple Alliance, whose village provided easy access to Lake Texcoco.
1: Also aiding Cortez's cause was the breakout of a smallpox epidemic in the Valley of Mexico. It's speculated that the breakout originated from one of Panfilo de Narvaez's former soldiers who had been left behind in Tenochtitlan during the Spanish retreat.
2: The epidemic broke out in late October 1520 and lasted until early December. The new Aztec emperor, Cuitláhuac, contracted the disease and died after ruling for only 80 days.
1: A new Aztec emperor, Cuauhtémoc, was appointed in February 1521. With their population decimated, the Aztecs elected to remain in Tenochtitlan rather than try to put an end to the Spanish forces in open battle.
2: With an easily defensible position, Cuauhtémoc was confident his forces could repel any attack across Tenochtitlan's causeways.
1: This defense strategy ultimately played directly into Cortés' hands. With a newly replenished army, he ordered the construction of 13 sloops. He deployed these ships in Lake Texcoco and used them to prevent his forces from being flanked by Aztec canoes as they crossed over the causeways.
2: Bolstered by 10,000 additional Tlaxcalan warriors, Cortes departed Tlaxcala the day after Christmas in 1520. He based his headquarters in Texcoco, which allowed him to easily access Lake
1: Texcoco. After a few skirmishes with Aztec forces, Cortes began the siege in earnest on May 22, 1521. After launching his 13 sloops, he reportedly faced over a thousand Aztec canoes, but with a favorable wind, he was able to overturn many of them and kill or capture the warriors stuck in the water.
2: With his position on the lake relatively secure, Cortes began to make steady inroads over the causeways into Tenochtitlan, He weakened the Aztec forces by preventing food and water from reaching the city along the causeways, and had two of his ships lead nightly capture missions among the towns surrounding the lake to keep them from sending supplies into Tenochtitlan via canoe
1: but the Aztecs weren't giving up without a fight. They placed impaling stakes in shallow portions of the lake and were able to capture the two Spanish sloops conducting raiding missions and killed their captains.
2: Cortes was able to learn of an Aztec ambush on his ships from chieftains he had captured and organized a counter-ambush with six of his ships that ended most of the Aztec resistance on Lake Texcoco.
1: Now able to completely focus on his advance into Tenochtitlan, Cortes raised every neighborhood he captured along the way, using the rubble to fill up canals and gaps in the causeways.
2: With the causeways relatively clear, Cortes could advance his cavalry and infantry in formation, which allowed them to avoid the hand-to-hand fighting that greatly favored the Aztecs, who wore lighter armor than the Spaniards and were more mobile fighters.
1: With Cortez's firm hold on the water and the land entries into Tenochtitlan, the Aztec stores were quickly depleting. They had to resort to drinking the dirty brackish water of Lake Texcoco and ate anything they could get their hands on, including wood, leather, and even bricks.
2: The Aztecs finally surrendered on August 13, 1521. Cuauhtemoc was captured that same day. He remained the leader of Tenochtitlan in name only, with Cortes ruling through him as he did with Moctezuma.
1: Despite the Aztec surrender, nobody was spared. As the remaining Aztec warriors and civilians attempted to flee the city, the Spaniards and their Tlaxcalan allies showed no mercy.
2: Although there's no exact number, it is thought between 100,000 and 240,000 inhabitants of Tenochtitlan were killed. Some historians have gone as far as to label Cortes and the other Spanish conquistadores' actions as genocide.
1: In comparison, Spanish casualties were extremely low. It's estimated about 1,800 Spaniards died during the two-year campaign from Veracruz to Tenochtitlan. Some estimate that up to 20,000 of Cortes' Tlaxcalan and other indigenous allies were killed.
2: With the Aztecs finally conquered, Cortes claimed Tenochtitlan for Spain, renaming it Mexico City, and began the process of establishing Spanish rule in the area.
1: Our story will continue in a moment after the break. This
0: episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime.
1: King Charles of Spain appointed Hernán Cortés as governor of the newly conquered territory, which was named New Spain.
2: However, Cortés didn't have unlimited authority over the region. Much to Cortés' displeasure, King Charles also appointed four royal officials to help Cortés govern, which subjected him to close observation and administration from the crown.
1: Cortes destroyed the vast majority of the Aztec buildings and temples that represented centuries of history and architecture, and built European-style buildings on top of the rubble. Soon, Mexico City became the most important European city in the Americas.
2: He also encouraged the spread of Catholicism through a spiritual conquest that mirrored the physical conquest of the Aztec Empire.
1: Cortes sent Franciscan and Dominican friars across his newly conquered territories. Using the excuse of building missions, these friars took advantage of their indigenous converts and used them as cheap labor to build agricultural and mining enterprises.
2: Having established a powerful European footprint in the area, Cortes sent for his wife, Catalina Juarez, who had been left behind in Cuba. She arrived in Mexico City in the summer of 1522.
1: Unsurprisingly, their marriage had become strained. La Malinche gave birth to Cortez's first son Martin in 1522, the same year Catalina arrived in Mexico City. Having been unable to have children with Catalina up to this point, Cortez blamed her for not being able to produce any legitimate heirs.
2: Catalina died under mysterious circumstances on the night of November 1st, 1522. There was an investigation into her death, but it was ultimately inconclusive. The documentation of the investigation was rediscovered in the 20th century, but there's no clear answer as to whether Cortez murdered her or not.
1: In 1524... Cortes sent his lieutenant, Cristobal de Olid, to conquer Honduras, which was populated by indigenous groups including the Maya, Lenca, Pech, Mesquita, Sumu, Hicaque, Papil, and Chorotega. Upon subjugating the Mayan cities of Naco and Tencoa, Olid claimed the land for himself. Cortes was convinced his old nemesis, Diego Velazquez, was behind the betrayal.
2: Refusing to let this insult go unpunished, Cortez left Mexico City on October 12, 1524, with a sizable force of 140 Spanish soldiers, 3,000 native Mexican warriors, and 150 horses.
1: He brought Cuauhtémoc and several other Aztec lords with him in order to prevent them from causing any trouble while he was gone. However, he still feared they were plotting against him and had them hang during the journey.
2: It was a difficult expedition, and Cortez lost more than two-thirds of his horses during a 12-day trek through only 32 kilometers of the Maya mountains.
1: By the time he came in contact with Olid's forces in April 1525, Olid's officers had already quelled the rebellion, and Cortez returned to Mexico City by sea.
2: Upon his return, Cortés attempted to have Velázquez arrested, but was unsuccessful.
1: Instead, Velázquez and the Bishop Juan Rodríguez de Fonseca, the chief of the Spanish colonial department, persuaded King Charles to appoint a commissioner, Luis Ponce de León, who had the power to investigate Cortés and even arrest him.
2: Only a few days after Cortés' return from Honduras, de León suspended him from his office of governor of New Spain.
1: Alonso de Estrada, one of the colony's officials, succeeded Cortes as governor and had Cortes exiled after he continued to cause trouble. It seemed as though Velasquez had finally defeated his former protege.
2: But Cortes refused to go quietly. Refusing to accept defeat, he sailed for Spain in 1528 to personally appeal his case to
1: King Charles. Cortes presented himself at the Spanish court with great splendor. One account states he arrived with all the wonders of the new world, materials such as featherwork, weapons, embroideries, and obsidian tools, and products including chocolate, tobacco, vanilla, and liquid amber.
2: He also brought rare plants and animals such as parrots, herons, and jaguars. He was accompanied by what could be regarded as a traveling circus sideshow, jugglers, acrobats, and a variety of performers.
1: Most importantly, Cortez brought large quantities of gold and treasure. It must have been quite the sight to behold. King Charles was certainly impressed he received Cortes warmly and listened to his argument that he had provided more than one-fifth of the plunder as required by the crown, and had also spent lavishly to build Mexico City over the ruins of Tenochtitlan.
2: For his efforts, Cortes was given huge swaths of land, the noble title of Don, and was named the Marquis of the Valley of Oaxaca.
1: With his status raised so high, Cortes was also able to marry the Spanish noblewoman, Doña Juana de Zuniga, in 1529 while he was at court. The marriage produced four children, another son named Martin, who was now officially Cortes' heir, and daughters, Maria, Catalina, and Juana.
2: Cortes also ensured that his allies were rewarded. Although agreements of their alliance were cancelled, such as payment for the Tlaxcalans' war supplies, giving them the city of Cholula, an equal share of spoils from the conquest, and the right to build a citadel in Tenochtitlan, the Tlaxcalans were forever exempted from Spanish taxes and tribute. Cortés' conquistadors also received generous grants of lands and privileges.
1: Cortés returned to New Spain in 1530, and although he retained military authority and the power to continue his conquests, he was not reinstated as governor of New Spain.
2: Upon his arrival, Cortez, now 45, retired to his vast picturesque estate in Cuernavaca. Despite his retirement, Cortez still had a thirst for blood and conquest. He spent the next few years raising the funds to finance an expedition to explore northwestern Mexico.
1: He set off in 1536, and claimed the Baja California Peninsula for the Spanish. However, the rest of his expedition was marred by misfortune.
2: Cortez lost many of his men due to sickness, and rumors even began to spread that Cortez himself had died.
1: When this rumor reached his wife, she sent two ships to look for him. The ships reached Cortez's party, and when he received Doña Juana's letters pleading for him to return, Cortez acquiesced. It was to be his last major expedition in the New World.
2: Things didn't improve much for Cortez once he returned home. He found himself beset by legal and financial troubles. His unsuccessful expedition had placed him in significant debt, and several lawsuits were brought against him by Spanish colonial officials for abuse of power in regards to overextending his political influence but ironically not for any acts committed against the indigenous people he had slaughtered.
1: Once again, Cortes found himself sailing to Spain in 1541 to clear his name with King Charles, but found his reception much chillier than his last voyage to Spain.
2: At the age of 56 and no longer capable of his previous military feats, Cortes was essentially no longer of any use to King Charles, Cortez also found himself eclipsed by his cousin Francisco Pizarro, whose exploits in Peru were all the rage at court and overshadowed Cortez's achievements
1: in Mexico. In a bid to restore his reputation, Cortez joined an expedition to Algiers in 1541 with disastrous results. As Cortez pursued the famous Turkish corsair Hayreddin Barbarossa, his ship was wrecked in a storm.
2: Although Cortez escaped with his life, he lost a collection of valuable jewels that he kept on his person at all times.
1: After this disastrous campaign, Cortes was but a shadow of the man who had carried out the vicious and complete destruction of the Aztec Empire. His reputation was so low that he couldn't even secure a personal audience with King Charles.
2: An anecdotal story claims that Cortes was so desperate to speak with the king that one day he forced his way through a crowd surrounding the royal carriage. When asked who he was, Cortes is said to have replied, quote, Sire, I am a man who has given your majesty more provinces than you had cities.
1: Though it's highly unlikely this exchange occurred, it paints a picture of how desperate Cortes became in his later years to maintain the wealth and power his violent conquests had earned him. He believed that he deserved more respect from King Charles for bringing the lands that now encompass much of Mexico and Central America into the Spanish Empire.
2: In 1544, Cortes made an appeal to the royal treasury to absolve him of the debts he had incurred to finance his expeditions, but his complaints were summarily ignored. In
1: 1547, he secured permission to return to Mexico, but his health was ultimately too poor to make the voyage. He made it only as far as Sevilla in Spain before contracting dysentery.
2: Hernán Cortés died on December 2, 1547, at the age of 62, attended by his son and heir, Don Martin. Before he died, he asked the pope to remove the illegitimate status of four of his children, Despite his diminished status at the time, he was still recognized as a man who had accomplished much for Spanish and Catholic interests, and his request was granted.
1: In his will, Cortez asked for his body to be buried in a monastery he had had ordered to be constructed in Coyoacan in Mexico but it was never built. His body was moved several times, and his remains were thought to be lost, but they were rediscovered in 1946 and placed in the church and hospital de Jesus, which had been founded by Cortez in Mexico City.
2: In the years and centuries since his death, Cortez had been portrayed as both a noble soldier who brought wealth and glory to the Spanish Empire as well as a ruthless, violent conqueror who slaughtered thousands of indigenous people's lives in the pursuit of wealth and power.
1: His complicated legacy continues to be debated and reframed today. What is certain is that he is responsible for setting the tone of and strategy for European settlement in the New World, and that his actions continue to have repercussions to this day.
2: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Historical Figures.
1: If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Historical Figures, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, or on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T.com. A new episode drops every Wednesday, but if you subscribe, you don't have to remember that.
2: If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network.
1: It seems simple, but it really helps our show.
2: And once again, we thank you for listening. Historical Figures was created by Max Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Carrie Murphy, additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Historical figures is written by Alex Benadon and stars Vanessa Richardson and Carter Roy.